during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and God's kingdom will stand forever. Welcome to the end. If it were possible to type the words God's salvation plan into your Google Maps and your web browser, it would actually take you to the subject that we are going to step through together just now. You see, in the Bible, God provided a spiritual map that would show us the steps he took to save us, but also the steps that we should take to follow him. And hey, if God has a map that tells us how we can be saved, don't you want to understand it? I know I do. So let's study it through together now. The Bible tells us, in his Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, these wonderful words. It says, and God is speaking, he says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to God, the purpose of the sanctuary was to allow him to come close to his people. You see, the Bible tells us that we were made to have this amazing, loving relationship with our Maker. In fact, the Bible even tells us that we were made in the image of God so that we could understand Him and learn to love Him more. But there's a problem, and we've discussed this problem before as well. The problem is that you and I have been infected with the pandemic of sin. And this has meant that we have been alienated from God. We couldn't come close to Him because we'd be destroyed by the purity of His presence. But God wasn't about to allow this sinfulness that was existent within the human race to be a barrier which he could not get past. No, God had a plan and so he made the sanctuary, this spiritual map that we're going to step through so that he could come close to his people. Perhaps another way of understanding this beautiful map that God has given to us is seen in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 77. And notice with me what God says, or at least what the psalmist says in verse 13. The Bible says, Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. The sanctuary was really this 3D model of the plan of salvation. It's a teaching tool that comes to us from God to help us understand the most important news and the most important message that we need, how to be saved, how we can get rid of the sin that has infected all of us. This is God's way that we're about to study together today. This subject is actually so important that it takes up pretty much half of the Bible. And even in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, which has so many prophecies concerning the end right before Jesus comes, the Bible actually has 90 references to the sanctuary in its last book. So basically, this is a prophetic map that outlines in beautiful detail the gospel story. How will God make an end of sin? How will he remove sin from the universe? It's all explained in this spiritual map. So what exactly is the sanctuary, you're probably thinking? Well, I can tell you straight up. It is not some giant temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. In fact, the original sanctuary was a tent-like structure, and it was portable, and it was located in a desert wilderness. This is what it was. If you study the Bible, the very first few books of the Bible tell us that the sanctuary was um, a tent-like structure that consisted of three spaces and six pieces of furniture. If you and I were to encounter this in 
physical form, we would come to the sanctuary and we would come through the door of the courtyard. There was only one door, by the way, to the sanctuary, into the courtyard. And the first thing you would see as you entered this courtyard would be a large brass altar. It was called the altar of sacrifice. Behind this was a large pool called a laver, a washing pool. Behind the laver is the tent-like structure of the sanctuary itself. It had two compartments or two apartments. The first was called the holy place. And inside the holy place, as you and I would step into there if we could, we would look to the right and we would see on the right, on the north side of the sanctuary, a table called the table of showbread. And on it would sit uh, a stack of 12 loaves of bread in two stacks of six. This was then opposite, on the other side, a beautiful seven-branched golden candlestick that would illuminate the holy place with beautiful light that would come as the candlestick was burning. But right in front of us, as we were standing in the holy place, would be another altar called the altar of incense. And it was before this beautiful veil. Behind that veil was the most holy place. And there was actually only one piece of furniture in this place. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. And you have to read for yourself how beautiful this piece of furniture really was. There were two angels that were sitting on top of the lid of this sacred chest. The lid of it was called the mercy seat. And beneath that lid was the Ten Commandments of God, which he wrote with his own finger in two tablets of stone. This whole concept was not some architect's idea. This was God's idea. Remember, we're studying God's map. And the whole concept of the sanctuary worked on this basis, that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. In fact, let me read to you what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. It says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So how did the sanctuary work? Because you see, each area, each space in this sanctuary symbolized a specific phase in the plan of salvation that God had designed so that he could save us from sin. And each piece of furniture symbolized a specific aspect of the ministry of Jesus on our behalf. So how does this all work? When a person sinned, there were very awful consequences. That sinner would take a lamb, and it was most likely a pet lamb, a beautiful little lamb that had grown up in the family that they had learned to love. It was without spot, without blemish. It was perfect in every way that it could be. And that sinner would bring that lamb through the camp to the sanctuary, and he would enter in through the door into the courtyard, And it reminds us of the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 9, where he said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved or he will be saved. You see, but once the sinner entered inside the courtyard, it was then he would do what the Bible describes in Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 33. And I'll just turn there here. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 33 says... Then he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it as a sin offering at the place where they kill the burnt offering. This verse tells us that now that the sinner was in the courtyard, 
he would place his hands on the head of this innocent little lamb and he would confess his sin on this lamb. And it was a symbolic thing that was happening here. It was symbolic of the fact that there was a transfer of guilt from the sinner to the substitute. And then the sinner would perform the awful act of taking the life of the creature, of slitting the throat of this beautiful little lamb. And it would point to how our sin would necessitate the death of God's son. Sin is an awful thing. It's an ugly thing. It's a painful thing. It has a hefty price tag. And this is what God was trying to demonstrate to his people through the sanctuary service. As the sinner cut the throat of this lamb, some of the blood was caught in a bowl by the priest. Then the lamb would be placed on that altar of burnt offering and it was there, it was burned up as a complete sacrifice. This ceremony reminds us of Jesus, how Jesus came to be the sacrifice for your sins and for mine. You remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, more precious than any pet, more precious than anything was Jesus, God's son. And he died in the courtyard of this earth so that we could be saved. Unlike the animal sacrifices that were made in the earthly sanctuary, morning and evening, the sacrifice of Jesus was made once and for all time because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Every sacrifice that was offered in the sanctuary reminded the people, it pointed forward to the fact that the Lamb of God would come and he would take away the sins of the world. This is why when Jesus did come and when Jesus did die on the cross, an incredible thing happened in the temple. The Bible says that the temple veil was ripped from top to bottom. And that's why when you and I worship God, we don't need to offer a sacrifice of an animal today because our faith is in Jesus, the Lamb of God. He has already offered his life for us. Well, now that the sin has been transferred from the sinner to the substitute of the lamb, the priest would then take the bowl of blood that he caught and he would take it into the sanctuary. Now watch what happens. As he was taking this blood into the sanctuary, it was symbolic of the fact that he was transferring the sin from the sinner into the sanctuary. And there, as it was taken in, the sinner could go out from the courtyard and go back to their tent. And guess what? They could be free from the burden of guilt and sin. Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. It says this. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See, that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mount. 
This is so important because this earthly map that God has given to his people, this earthly map that you and I are stepping through together in scripture, this was a copy of an original that was in heaven. And so it's really pointless to think that we need to rebuild the temple on earth because the temple is already built in heaven. So what does all of this furniture represent that we have walked through and seen in the sanctuary? Oh, it represents beautiful things that highlight different aspects of Jesus and what he means to you and I today. First of all, back to the courtyard, there was that first thing that we encountered. That was the altar of burnt offering. That reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus for you and for me on the cross of Calvary. Remember that Jesus came to be the Lamb of God. Then behind that, we see that laver, that washing pool. And this reminds us that Jesus is the living water. He can satisfy our souls. But not only that, it reminds us of the washing of regeneration that the Holy Spirit works in our lives, according to Titus chapter 3, verse 5. And so it's also a picture of baptism and the commitment that we make to Christ as we follow him. Then, as you entered the holy place, there were those three pieces of furniture. On the right, that table of showbread. What could that represent? Remember what Jesus said? He said, I am the bread of life. This reminds us that Jesus is the bread of life. And his, it points us to God's word, the living word, which as we feast upon it, as we study God's word, as we read what God has to, said, has to say, it satisfies our souls. Then opposite this was that beautiful seven-branched candlestick. This was a reminder that Jesus is the light of the world. And friends, when the light of the world shines into your heart, he wants for you to shine to others. He wants for you to allow his love to shine through you to the world around you. And you get that encouragement to shine through reading his word. Then right in front of us was, of course, that altar of incense. What was that about? That sweet altar of incense reminds us that when we pray, the, the righteousness of Jesus, the beautiful righteousness and purity of Jesus, it mingles with our prayers as we pray them. And we get this from Revelation chapter 8 and verse 3. And of course, behind that veil, in the most holy place, was that beautiful Ark of the Covenant. Here, And I love how the lid of this ark is called the mercy seat, and it's above God's law. But here was a reminder that God has mercy for those who break his law. Do you need mercy? I need mercy. All of us need mercy. We need a God like this. He has mercy for those who break his law. But not only that, this ark is in this most holy place, and it reminds us that as it contains God's law, God's desire was actually to write his law on our hearts. In fact, I got to read this one to you back in the book of Hebrews. There's so many good things there. Hebrews chapter 10. Notice uh, with me what it says in verse 16. The Bible says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. By the way, as an aside, the most holy place was actually in the shape of a cube. And there's only one other cube that is mentioned in all the Bible with the same cubic dimensions. And do you know what it is? It's the New Jerusalem, the holy city of God. 
Friends, God wants to write His law in our hearts so that He can take us to the most holy place in the universe, His home. Isn't that beautiful? And so as we see this, we recognize that once in the sanctuary, this place which we now recognize is fraught with so much meaning, once we come into the sanctuary, the priest would then take that bowl. Remember, he caught it at the sacrifice and he would dip his finger in the bowl of blood and the Bible tells us he sprinkled that seven times before the veil of the most holy place. And this was a prophetic promise, if you will, that one day atonement would be made by the Messiah's blood. Messiah would come and he would fix the problem of sin. So we see this concept of the Messiah's substitution again in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. And I have to read it because it's such a golden verse. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Our God saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. Salvation, though, wasn't finished at the cross, as we see as we study this map that we're going through here, because the Lamb who died for us on Calvary, He now lives as our high priest. He lives for us as our high priest. And so Jesus, friends, is our link. And he provides this beautiful link to heaven whereby we can experience forgiveness and receive spiritual power to live the Christian life. This is what is taught to us in the sanctuary service. This is one other thing that I have to tell you about. There was a very special service that happened in the sanctuary and it only ever happened once a year. You find the whole service detailed in Leviticus chapter 16, but I'd like to read to you just the summary of it in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 27. And notice with me what the Bible says. Leviticus 23, verse 27, it says, Also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement, it shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. All right. Now we have another thing in this map that we have to understand. The Day of Atonement. It happened once a year. It was otherwise known as the Day of Yom Kippur. or Yom Kippur. And it was a very special day. It was a very significant day because this was a day of judgment. And there was a very special ceremony that was associated with day, this day. It was all special because this ceremony on this day symbolized the ultimate removal of sin, not just from every human being, but from the universe. All Israel on this day considered it to be such a solemn thing. The Bible tells us they would afflict their souls. That is, they were repenting, they were praying, they were seeking God and making sure their hearts were right with Him. They didn't want to have anything between them and the Lord. And if they didn't participate in this, it was so serious, the Bible says they would be cut off from the community if they didn't participate. This was the day that the sanctuary would be cleansed from all the accumulated record of sin that had gathered up in this place throughout the year. What happened on this particular day? Well, it was a ceremony that involved two goats. The first goat was called the Lord's goat, and this goat was slain. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was slain for us. It represents Jesus and his sacrifice. 
And the high priest would take the blood of the Lord's goat and he would go into the sanctuary, through the holy place, into the most holy place. And he only ever went into the most holy place one time every year on this day. He'd go into the most holy place and the Bible tells us he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant and he would do it seven times. This was a symbol of the complete and final atonement that is made for us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. The priest, high priest, would come out of the most holy place, through the holy place, into the courtyard again. And there the Bible tells us that he would place his hands on the head of a scapegoat, or also known as Azazel. He would place his hands on the head of this goat, and he would confess all the sin of the camp of Israel. After that, this goat was not killed. It was led by a fit man out into the wilderness where it was released to die. And this was a picture representing how the one who was responsible for all the evil in this world, the one who is responsible for the pandemic of sin, who brought it to this planet, how one day in the future he will bear the responsibility of this and he will bear this sin on himself. And it is a picture of Satan. So friends, these themes that God has described for us in this map, they are incredible. And as you see them, I'm sure you can see that, hey, if God has described a way for me to find salvation, a way for me to come to God, then if I'm following the map, I cannot get lost. And I want you to know that we have such a wonderful friend in Jesus. Let me read to you two beautiful verses. One is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. It says this, Therefore, in all things he, that is Jesus, had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God and to make propitiation for the sins of the people. I don't know about you, but this gives me hope. That the God that I serve is not a God who doesn't understand what it's like to be a human being, who doesn't understand what it's like to hurt and to feel pain and to suffer. Our God understands. And notice this other verse, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. The Bible tells us that the Son of God became the son of man, that he might make the sons of men into sons and daughters of God. This is wonderful news. And it's the story of the Bible. The Bible tells us that before Jesus comes back, before the end takes place, that there will be a time of judgment. And so friends, right now, we need to make sure that we have our hearts right with Jesus. And that's why we need to study the map so we can see how we can have that experience with him. There was an archaeologist who went and visited a pottery shop in Egypt. He wasn't sure he would make a purchase in this store, but he went in anyway just to have a look. I approve of what he did. Window shopping can be a good thing. He walked into the store, and as he was looking on the shelves, there was one pot that caught his attention. It was beautiful. It had these beautiful crimson tinge to it. And he said to the shop owner, I would like to buy that pot. And the shop owner said, I'm sorry, you cannot buy it. It's not for sale. He said, why isn't it for sale? Why would you put it on the shelf if you're not going to sell it? 
And so the shop owner, he explained and told him the story. He told him how one day he had been working on a very difficult piece of clay to mold. And as he was trying to turn it on the wheel and it just wasn't really doing what he wanted it to do, a sharp shard from that clay slit his hand and caused him to bleed. But he found that as the blood poured into the clay, it made it malleable and soft. And so he said to the archaeologist, I'm sorry, sir, but this is not for sale because it has my blood in it. As I think about that story and I see what God has done for us in the sanctuary and how he has a wonderful plan to save us, I realize something really special, that Jesus isn't going to change his mind about saving you. He's not going to have second thoughts about coming back to get you and take you to his home. No, he's committed to your salvation and to mine. How do I know that? Because he has invested his blood in you. That means that we have a God who loves us more than we could ever know. So I want to ask you, will you follow Jesus? Will you follow him in this plan? You see, Jesus came from that most holy place in heaven. He came down to die in the courtyard of our encampment that was struggling with sin. But then Jesus has gone back to the most holy place and he desires for us to follow him. He desires for us to come to Him and see Him lifted up on Calvary's cross. He desires for us to make a commitment to Him in the waters of baptism. He desires for us to feast on His Word, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to seek Him in prayer every single day. Because God's ultimate desire is to write His law, which is a picture of His character, on your heart and on mine, so that He can take us to be with Him in His beautiful, eternal home. Won't you say yes to Jesus? I invite you to do so right now. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this amazing plan of salvation that you have shown to us in your word. Thank you for Jesus, who makes all things possible. Today, we choose to accept Jesus as our personal Savior. We choose to follow him and take the steps that we must take to do so, so that one day when Jesus comes, we will be ready to meet him. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The End. For more information about this program or any of this show's free offers, visit www.theend.digital.